Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 443 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday evening, September 11th, 2022. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am coming to you strangely on this uh, on this anniversary on September 11th from New York City, where I am staying with a friend. I am flying out of the country later this week to attend my sister's wedding. And that's so that's exciting. I'm joined by Donald Wine, who is here. Jason Evans is not here, but Donald is. And it appears that he is home in Washington, D.C. Donald, how are you? I'm doing good. Uh, You know, we have a lot to talk about on the football gridiron. um, But I'm glad that you started with the fact that we are recording this on 9-11. It's almost ironic that you're in New York City. I'm in D.C., two of the, you know, three sites that were most affected directly i would say by uh the events that happened 21st 21 years ago i'll just say no you know for me personally i knew someone in the towers um went to high school with him it was like his third day of work um when he went his name was ted adderley and uh every day it kind of reminds me uh every time this you know come you know this date comes around it reminds me of that and just kind of you know the thousands of people who literally did nothing wrong Right. They were they were going to work. They were living their lives and they went to the wrong place on the wrong date at the wrong time. And, you know, it it just it's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing that we have to continue to relive. And it feels like, you know, yesterday that it happened. But the fact that it's 21 years out, it still doesn't lessen the sting of what happened. It is it is bizarre when I when I think about it. And I was I was only, I think, 11 years old, uh, 12 years old when it happened. but. And I, as as you all know, or if you've been listening for a while, you you know that I grew up outside of D.C. Uh, so I didn't know anyone that was like at the Pentagon that day, but it was certainly very scary. And it also, to me, weirdly, Donald feels like it did just happen yesterday or like it happened last week. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's it's faded away very much. So um, good to good to think and reflect on it today and, and just how sort of senseless and and tragic and terrible it was um but that you know in in tragedy we're able to come together in some in some curious ways so i was watching the us open final earlier um and alcaraz who who won the final who's who's a spaniard who wasn't even born when when the towers fell um he talked about it in his you know in in his thanks at the end of the tournament obviously today was the first weekend of of NFL games and there were all kinds of tributes today. So uh, just, just good to, to sit and, and think about it for a minute. And I know that you might not even listen to this episode until the 12th. So maybe you, maybe you did some reflecting yesterday or the day before, whenever you listen to this, but um, yeah, uh, it was a, it was a, it was a really sad, uh, tragic, horrible thing um, that hopefully we'll, we, we won't ever forget. Let's talk about something that, is a little bit happier um does relate to does relate to football which we already mentioned once we're only i think going to talk about football today so uh if you are a listener of this program who only comes for basketball and nothing else we 
we about to learn. No yeah. We, I, well, I guess you can stick around and listen, but if you're not interested, uh, we bear you no ill will. You don't have to continue. Thanks for the download. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. But for those of you who do like to hear us talk a little bit about Duke football, we're going to talk about Duke football today, on-field stuff, a bit of off-field stuff. Everything's really positive. We are not, Donald, we are not going to just rehash this whole Duke-BYU volleyball thing. We don't need we, – we, I think we set our piece on it, so agreed, agreed that we're just moving on. Agreed. Great. Uh, let's not talk about it. Everyone knows our feelings about it. Let's talk about the football game on Saturday. So Duke, in its first game, beat Temple 30 to nothing. We thought that was awesome, and we said, you know what? This is great, but let's see uh, what happens when Duke plays Northwestern next week. Northwestern, of course, uh, has a little bit more football pedigree than Temple does. Northwestern had beaten Nebraska in its first game of the season over, uh, I think they played in Ireland. And mm -hmm. uh, turns out maybe in hindsight, beating Nebraska, not that big a deal uh, based on based on Nebraska's performance this past weekend. They are now without their head coach anymore because he's been released. But Duke goes to Evanston, beats Northwestern 31-23. to Duke got out to a 21-0 lead there at the beginning of the game and Northwestern clawed back a little bit. Uh, they were able to, they were able to make it interesting all the way down to a final drive that ended with Duke recovering a fumble uh, very close to their own goal line that, that prevented Northwestern from scoring one last touchdown. I was not able to watch this game at length. I've been able to consume the clips. I've been able to read the quotes. I've been able to read Jim Subner's review of it. Don't forget folks. We are official endorsers of Jim Subner's Substack. But I am going to ask you, Donald, can we start right at the end of the game where, you know, I, I do want to come back and talk about Duke's incredible offensive performance at the beginning. But right at the end there, when Northwestern was driving at the end of the game and they finally give the ball up and Duke is able to capitalize on a late fumble, what were you thinking about what was going on and what were you seeing from the Blue Devils on the field? So let's backtrack to one possession before that. And so Duke is driving down the field. We're inside of, you know, three minutes and they're driving the length of the field in an effort to basically keep Northwestern's offense off the field and preserve the game, kind of end the game. They get all the way down to like the half yard line. And they had a couple of chances to get it into the end zone from, you know, in basically, let's say inside the three, there was a couple of, you know, run plays that they did. So they have a couple of run plays. They're stopped short. They get to fourth down. Now it's fourth again, fourth and maybe a half of a yard. And it's a bummer, by the way, that Duke like continually is trying to punch it in and can't extremely right. frustrating. Well, for them, it's actually fine because they're trying to waste clock. Right. And they're forcing Northwestern to blow their timeouts. They make Northwestern kill all three of their timeouts on, you know, on plays inside their own, you know, one yard line. Right. So we get to fourth down and there is a couple of ways they could have done it, right? They could have kicked the field goal, which would have put them up eight points and made it so that no matter what, they were basically going to overtime if Northwestern were to go the length of the field. They also could have tried to punch it in from there. And the idea behind that reasoning is, okay, you either score and the game is completely over. There's no coming back from that particular lead or you're forcing Northwestern to drive 99 yards 
to do anything. And they still have to score a touchdown at that point, drive 99 yards with no touchdowns in about a minute and four seconds. They decide to go over the field goal. And so my, I was talking to my friends about it. It was more, yes, that may have been the smart play, but it may not have been the right play at the time. Well, well, but I, we got the points and most people say the analysts say, go get the points, put them on their heels and make it where they have to score a touchdown. And that for, for you, you don't have to worry about anything except possibly overtime. So Northwestern gets the ball back. And the only thing that I didn't like about this final drive for Northwestern about our defense was that we were playing prevent defense and prevent defense, as they say, prevents nothing. Um, it, it was a lot of just a lot of cushioning, right? Giving up 10 yards here, 10 yards there, 10 yards there. And we get inside the, we get down to about the 20 yard line or Northwestern does. And there's a play where they basically have a dump off play. The running back gets the ball. He has the end zone in sight. He runs. And this is where I say football is a game of inches. And this was no more evident than this particular play. Jalen Stinson reaches out and somehow as he's trying to tackle the Northwestern running back, as he's falling into the end zone, pops the ball out. Duke recovers it in the end zone for a touchback. And when I say that there was, if if he had done this seven inches more, right? If he had gone seven more inches, that is a touchdown for Northwestern. They're going for two points to make it a tie ball game and send this game to overtime. But because Stintz was able to knock that ball out, and then it was recovered in the end zone by Duke. Duke escapes with a 31-23 victory. Duke is 2-0. They're coming home, feeling good about themselves. And again, this is a team, Northwestern, that, you know, when we look at the Big Ten West, they might be the best team in the Big Ten West, given what we've seen from that division so far this season. So uh, that's a really big victory for Duke. And it's also a big victory for Mike Elko and the coaching staff. Jim Sumner talked about in, in our football preview about how they feel confident about being confident that they can go out and play good football and win ball games. Nothing breeds more confidence than winning. And especially when you're able to have a goal line stand interception on the, on the possession before that Duke has had some, you know, op, some obstacles staring them in the face and they were able to overcome adversity and overcome, you know, kind of the momentum to get victories. And I think that's really good. And I mentioned that Duke went out, got off to a strong start scoring on their first three possessions. And then the offense basically went cold for about two quarters there in the middle of the game. So the when, when you talk about adversity, adversity for Duke here was like letting the lead flounder away before finally recovering and and managing to to hold Northwestern off. What were you thinking like in the third quarter when Duke? Duke's offense just decided to totally shut down. They're giving the ball up. They're not able to to push it downfield. What 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 sort of uh, uh, dark thoughts were going through your mind? I mean, it was more about halftime adjustments, right? Like, in it, it didn't feel like, at least to me, it didn't feel like we were playing terribly in the third quarter. We just weren't getting a lot of push off the ball. We weren't making plays, and Northwestern was getting us off the field quickly and then turning around, and we were giving up plays on defense. Mainly, we had a couple of big plays we gave up on defense. We also had some major penalties, uh, pass interference. One that I thought was kind of shaky, probably should have been offensive pass interference on Northwestern, but it's defensive pass interference on us, and that put Northwestern in great position to score. So, uh, and they took advantage of that. So, I, I for me, it wasn't necessarily that we did anything wrong or that the play calling became a little too conservative. It's just you know 
execution and, and making plays is again a game of inches. Those things it, it just didn't work out in that third quarter. But I will say this about the first half. And when I say the first half, I mean really the first 15 minutes and 33 seconds of this ball game. Our our skill players came to play. I mean, Jordan Waters had 91 yards rushing, two touchdowns. Jalen Coleman, 83 yards rushing, two touchdowns. Jalen Calhoun, six catches, 108 yards, including a 51-yarder. And Eli Pankle, an 81-yard reception. He ends up with 106 in the game. His 81-yard reception in the second quarter set up a touchdown for Duke. The longest play in Duke history that did not result in the touchdown. Um, So that was, it was a great play. It was one of those, you know, catching and then he kind of made a move. There was some open field and he took off. And really the only reason he didn't, you know, land in the end zone is because he just kind of got tired and, you know, one of the Northwest defenders finally caught up to him. So we had some guys who really did great things on the offensive side of the the football and on defense. They were able to get off the field very quickly and put the ball back in the hands of our offense so they could do work. Yeah, Northwestern features a a quarterback Ryan Helinski who who has the ball in his hands a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. He he attempted sixty passes yesterday or on uh, yesterday for Northwestern. So uh, you know how effective he was, uh, sort of up and down throughout the game. Uh, through a as you said, through a pick uh, was only thirty six for for sixty. So it's not like Helinski is is lighting the world on fire, but Duke was able to to contain that passing game to some extent um, he had a lot of yards, but he had to do it on, on, like I said, on, on 60 attempts. So Duke defense was, was clearly running around um, making things frustrating for Helinski and, and Northwestern didn't really have a, um, didn't, didn't find a lot of ways to, to recover from, uh, from that passing game being, you know, racking up a lot of yards, but doing it somewhat inefficiently. Yeah, they didn't give up a lot of big plays. They did give up a couple, but they weren't backbreakers, right? Like the the thing that always kills momentum is when you give up a backbreaking big play. And when you look at the score line and you look at the box score of like, you know, long plays, Duke has most of them. You're right. They have a, you know, uh, Jordan Waters had a 46 yard run. Uh, Jalen Calhoun had a 51 yard, you know, reception. And then I, I mentioned P- Pankle with his 81 yard reception. So we had big plays and we were able to take advantage of them. And that's what knocked Northwestern back on the heels. And, and mind you, you know, this was a game that Northwestern was good enough that they were featured as one of the games to pick on college game day. Not every team gets a, a game right where they're getting picked and they're like, hey, Northwestern is playing somebody. Who are you picking? And of course, everybody picked Northwestern because Northwestern is a team that, again, they expect to compete for the Big Ten title, uh, at least coming out of the West and going up against one of the behemoths in the Big Ten East. But that sent probably sent a statement to everybody saying, hey, Duke is here to play some football. Duke is not here to serve as your patsies and your cupcake. Um, and Elko, it, it, the squad is, is, I mean, the confidence that they had coming out of that game, I think is really going to help them the rest of the season. I also want to note on a fun note, Mike Elko's son is a freshman at Northwestern, and they showed him during the game on the sideline in full Duke blue gear. So hats off to Mike Elko's son for, sticking around and, and 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 showing support for his dad uh, in his first season, especially when he, you know, is a freshman on campus at Northwestern. Yeah, it feels like uh, it would be tough to root against dad's team, regardless of, of who it right, is. Right, right. So, uh, but yes, uh, credit to him regardless. I also liked, I was reading uh, Coach Elko's quotes from, from the end of the game, and he talked about how, I think referring back, Donald, to what you were saying earlier about Duke sort of dealing with adversity, adversity, 
Coach Elko mentioned, he was like, we, we sort of fell flat. Um, you know, as you said, they were, they were uh, making, they were still making big plays, but not able to score there in the middle of the game. And, and uh, Elko talked about how Duke was able to sort of persevere through that. And hopefully, you know, some games like this, they become losses. I think we've talked about this on numerous occasions. You can play poorly, still win the game. And then the question is, did you learn your lesson from what you did here and make sure that you don't repeat it next week? Uh, it sounds like at least Mike Elko knows what was going wrong, and hopefully he's able to impart that on the team. As we're sort of looking ahead at the schedule, Duke gets North Carolina A&T next weekend at home, and we'll talk in a second about what that that stadium experience might look like for the Blue Devils next week. Then they go on the road again to Kansas. Uh, a lot of road games this year in the non-conference, both at Northwestern and at Kansas. But given that, Northwestern is probably the best team that Duke had on its non-conference schedule this year. So a great sign that Duke was able to go on the road and win this one. Not that, not that Ryan Field is the, you know, the, the, the pinnacle of road college football environments, but uh, a, a great sign for Duke that they were able to hold this one off. And the ACC schedule doesn't start off too strong for Duke. There are a few good teams in the ACC this year that Duke does have to play, but um, they're not getting any of the, any of the heart of the conference, at least until they get to UNC in mid-October. So so a nice runway for the Blue Devils to potentially, I, I can't believe that we're speculating about this, but might end up back in a bowl game this year after a couple of years away at the end of the Cutcliffe era. And we talked about this, right? We talked about, hey, it, you know, is aiming for, you know, the ACC championship realistic? No, it's not. Is aiming for a national championship realistic? Absolutely not. But going for a bowl game, a solid bowl game every single year for Duke University is the bear is the first goal, right? We we can always have that as a step of, hey, we want to achieve this. And you know, we always talk about how you want to be three and one or four and zero oh coming out of the non-conference schedule and getting that confidence and taking it into the conference part of your season. And we're doing that so far. So I mean, NCNT, they're a tough team. Um, I know they're not as good as they have been in years past, where they have. Uh, plucked off a few wins. Um, we're we're going to talk about the rest of college football in just a second, but I, I do think Kansas is you know they've had some a couple of good wins and they are over you know impressing a little bit um, as they had this year. But again, that could be a game that's really doable for Duke. So if they can come home four and zero and they're entering a conference schedule, that's worlds of confidence that these players are going to have to say, hey, it does not matter who lines up on the other side of the ball from us we have a chance to win the ball game. And if they can do that, I think it's safe to say, then yes, we can have a really good schedule that ends up with us in a bowl game. All right, Donald, we will come back from a break. I want to go over very quickly Mike Elko's promise to the student body about how they're going to, uh, at least in some way, improve the the fan experience at Wallace Wade this season. And then I want to just go uh, around the country just very briefly on the rest of college football this uh, this past week in, in week two. So we will be right back. So we mentioned Duke's on-field performance against Northwestern. And just a few days ago, we since we didn't get to mention this on our last show, one of the cool things that Coach Elko has promised the student body is that they are all as long it looks like as long as they register uh to to do so the all the students all the undergraduate students at duke are receiving free duke football jerseys that have their graduation year on them 
So for the rest of the season, all the uh, all the students who are going to be sitting in the student section that has recently been moved from its old place in the in the end zone to a little bit more now on the on the visitor's side of Wallace Wade, they're all going to be decked out in in their own Duke football jerseys, which I think is pretty cool, huh? Yeah, and it started off with um, Mike Elko and the coaching staff making you know making a, a nice pledge to the freshman class by giving them all. Uh, jerseys with their names on the back as well. And it had the their graduate year of 2026. God, we're very old. But um, I think this one, and everyone was like, yo, that's really cool, coach. What about us? And so I guess in an email, because so many people came out to the Temple game, he said, hey, for everyone who registers, whether they be undergrad, and he's including graduate students in this as well, which I think is awesome, um, they can get a jersey as well with their graduation number and name on the back. Um, I think this is a cool gesture, right? Like this is something where you're you're obviously trying to reinvigorate the student body about Duke football, and you're reaching out and saying, "Hey, if a jersey is going to get you in the building and help you support, you know, us and and really your classmates, let's get some jerseys going. Let's get the budget rolling, and let's in and, and get it where we give you something that you're proud to wear, and it and it says Duke football on it. So. Um, hats off to Mike Elko for this kind of, I mean, it's not necessarily a, a creative way to do things. It's not like the, a unique way to do it, but it's definitely a great gesture to like bring students in and really make them feel like they're part of this rebuilding process that we have with the Duke program. Yeah. I remember when coach Cutcliffe came in during those first few years when the, when the excitement was really high and, and, and the program felt like it was getting better every year. One of the things he did really well relative to his predecessors was engage the student body and get fans to show up, get the students to show up for the games, but also get them excited. And and there was there were more giveaways and more just sort of fan engagement going on. Uh, I know that there was also a lot of fraught discussion when I was a student about the uh, the state of the student tailgate, which is uh, probably a an expose for another time. I don't know how much we've talked about it on this show, but I man. we. I despised that tailgate. Despised the, it, and we and we and you know we both work for the football team, so I I I get that our our view of this might be a little more uh, biased well, than you, others, or at least more. Maybe we more haven't. Angry. Maybe we haven't talked about this, Donald, because when I was a student, so the year that they shut down the tailgate was the year that I was a senior. Mm-hmm. I was a, I was an equipment manager on the football team, but I was also uh, on the board of the interfraternity council which is the student organization that's like the umbrella organization for all the fraternities that uh, notionally was putting on the tailgate every week. So I had to, uh, I ended up playing devil's advocate, pun unintended, uh, for in favor of the tailgate when I talked to folks in the football program and in favor of the football game when I would talk to my classmates about the tailgate and making it fun. So this might be a story for another time because yeah, we, I mean we yeah. have uh, I have some thoughts because I remember tailgate in its form that you had didn't start until just after I left, but right. I came back for so many games. I had season tickets for a long time. Just would come back to games. I have a very and and literally you know still was in touch with like you know all the deans and all the student leaders and things like that. So whenever I came back, I was just like. Guys, I need you to go to the actual football game. But we'll we'll, we'll we can save that for a segment. Maybe later. maybe we need maybe we need to bring Dean Sue on to do. Oh yeah, like a what happened to what happened to the tailgate? Just a history of Duke football 
and and the parties before the game. Yeah. Uh, that might be a that might be a, another fun offseason thing. But in any event, Coach Cutcliffe was great at at getting people to come to the games. Eventually, they did cancel the uh, you could call it the bad version of the student tailgate, and they and they replaced it with something a, a little bit more wholesome. So it's great to see that coach Elko is, is trying to reinvigorate those things and, and make some of the traditions come back, create his own new traditions and, and shake things up just to excite the student body. I think that the conversation on the, on the DBR forums for many years was like, where's the, what's the chicken and egg of, of who shows up to the football games and why. But uh, the most that I think that, that the coaching staff can do relative to the students, it feels like they're doing, which is pretty cool. I agree. And, and, you know, just reaching out and saying, hey, we want you here. Your Our players want you here. We want you to make this an atmosphere that is intimidating. Uh, I mean, Elko basically said, I want to bring the Wal- the Cameron crazy experience to Wallace Wade. And I think even when he was hired, we kind of joked like, hey, man, like a lot of a lot of tried, many have failed. You know, what's going to be different about it? This is a different approach to it. And I think that's great that he's, you know, kind of looking back and saying, hey, Anything that we can do to get you guys out here, we will do. All right, Donald, I know you wanted to do just a, a quick whip around on the rest of college football from this weekend. It was a bizarre Saturday, uh, one of the best Saturdays in Sunbelt history, I think, with uh, with a lot of incredible upsets. So so what did you want to highlight? I mean, first of all, can we just talk about how, like, I think it was a lot of fun to watch all these games. And, you know, obviously... it. It may not have been fun if your team was on the wrong side of a, you know, upset or something like that. But um, these games were fun to watch. There were all I mean, starting at noon. I mean, I'm on I'm here sitting right here on my chair. I have the Duke game on the TV. I have Miami on a on an iPad and I have Texas, uh, Alabama on my laptop. And all three games were I mean, the Duke game was super exciting. I think the game of the week was probably at least from a, a neutral perspective was Texas, Alabama. That was a really good game all the way down to the last 15 seconds of the game when Alabama kicked the field goal to win. So uh, that was cool. But honestly, yeah, you're talking about a couple of major upsets. One Appalachian state uh, congratulations to Texas A&M because uh, my Michigan Wolverines are an afterthought for at least a couple of weeks uh, because you are the new flavor of the week when it comes to being upset by Appalachian state. I'm pretty sure teams will no longer be paying the $1.5 million that App State got from Texas A&M to get served by them. They actually, funny enough, are hosting uh, College Game Day this weekend when they, uh, I guess, uh, uh, they're playing Troy. So um, Up in that's pretty cool. In App State is, is hosting, not... Uh, App State not- is hosting, <laughs> yes. App State is hosting in Boone. So shout out Boone, uh, North Carolina. They will be the center of college football on Saturday. And then also in South Bend, you had Marshall taking out Notre Dame. Notre Dame is now unranked uh, because they've lost uh, their first two games. One to one was, you know, a good game to Ohio state, but Marshall is not Ohio state. And uh, that was, again, another good game where you have teams rising to the occasion and rising to the moment of playing some of these big teams. And and in a lot of cases, collecting a huge check in the process, going back to app state, the video of I don't know if you've seen it, the video of the students kind of invading their town square or whatever and celebrating. That was awesome. Um, love unbridled joy videos like that. Stay out of traffic, but that was cool. Um, and then also App State like had to stay the night on the like conference room floor of their hotel room because they had problems flying back to Boone 
So they didn't get out until Sunday morning uh, to get back to Boone. But hey, I'm sure they were they were celebrating as best they could in a hotel lobby um, until wee hours of the night because of that game. And Notre Dame coming into this season, obviously Brian Kelly left in the offseason to join LSU. They promoted Marcus Freeman to become the head coach, and there was a lot of excitement about Marcus Freeman bringing a whole new vibe to Notre Dame, and not clear yet that has worked. So I'm sure I, I feel more neutrally about it, perhaps Donald, than you do as a Michigan fan. I'm sure you're you're lapping up all of the uh, all of the Notre Dame failure so far this season. Hey, and Marcus Freeman is, is an Ohio State grad, so uh, I, I I say this with all the respect. Man is going to be a great coach. It's just not right now. Um, he, it's just not working out right now. Also, shout out Georgia State. Uh, was it Georgia Southern? Georgia Southern, who went to Nebraska and beat Nebraska and sending, giving Scott Frost uh, the thrill of his life because he is now getting paid to not coach the Nebraska Cornhuskers. My so, goodness, how much money is Scott Frost getting to not coach just for this one month? Right, uh, and here's the funny thing is I think October 1st, if he had been fired on October 1st, like the buyout was like reduced $8 by like $8 million. Yeah, that dude's like, God. you want to fire me now? Awesome, yo, call call up two guys on a truck, tell them tell there's beer in a fridge. My my stuff's ready. Stuff's ready to go. I love doing the DBR podcast, but if someone paid me eight million dollars to not do it anymore, <laughs> uh, you might never hear from me again. Nope. So, uh, so that's fun. All right, I think that's it for college football for this week. We are not a college football show. Normally, we don't need to go too deep. This is hopefully all you expect of us. If it's not, email us dbrpodcast at gmail That is where you can find us. That's where you can find Donald. That's where you can find me. That's where you can find Jason, who wasn't. I don't think I said this at the top. Jason wasn't here today because, one, he's been so busy covering uh, the death of Queen Elizabeth and the ascension of of King Charles. And then, two, he's also moving this week, which he has mentioned on the show uh, at least a couple times prior to this episode. I think they're completing the move this weekend, and he was just too physically exhausted. So everyone who's moved before, which is presumably everyone on this show or everyone who listens to this program, knows uh, how draining it can be. So so prayers up to Jason and to the Evans family for completion of the move. Stay in touch with us, as I said, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. I'm sure we'll be back again soon for something or other. For Donald Wine over there, for Jason Evans uh, in whatever sorry state that he's currently in, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 443 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast, Duke Band. Take us home.